Welcome to episode 55 of the Ski Instructors Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowpro Ski School based here in Valdivier in Switzerland. Hope you're all well. Um, I'm messaging this from a very rainy and wet Valdivier today, which is nice because it's been, I don't know, uh, it's been more or less sunny for about three weeks now so it's nice to see a change in the weather we had a magnificent kind of uh, storm came through the valley last night lightning everywhere and thunder is really really dramatic and when the, the thunder rolls in this valley it sort of reflects all around bounces off the Dondimidi and you get some amazing sound effects which uh, which really makes everything quite dramatic when we have a storm here so it's great and it's nice to have the sort of freshness in the air because it's been you know hot for a while and uh, and I prefer it a little bit cold so it's nice to take all that heat out of the air um, in terms of the ski world not much has been going on I've been sort of uh, occupied with post season and preparations for next season which is quite interesting so just trying to wrap up and get around and see everybody um talking to a lot of our main clients and putting in place their dates for next year um which allows us to kind of plot the big stuff and then we sort of fit in um, our normal private clients around that and i'll be contacting all of those guys really early getting all of the early birds in and and uh and and really start attacking that in september and um a bit of recruitment as well which has been interesting this year lots of really high quality candidates for some of the uh some of the positions that we had um that in itself has been quite interesting the one that we're really really struggling with is eu passport holders qualified to a certain level for one of the resorts that we we work in and those guys there seems to be less and less of those people available um i guess they're all getting recruited into all the other resorts as well so there's more competition for for those people with the the golden ticket you know eu passport or, or swiss residency um that, that we really need in order to be able to employ people in certain resorts uh that we work in but you know we're, we're almost there with that so uh, I'm, I'm sort of two yeses away from finalizing our team for for next year um which will be excellent um other than that then we're about to well we're about to go into july and august which for me is the equivalent of sort of going around the dark side of the moon in a spaceship um no one wants to talk about skiing in, in july and august everyone's on holiday all of the people that we deal with are away on holiday um and it's a really really tough time of the year so i'll be using that time just to kind of tidy up and get ready um for for, for our sales sort of season which starts in september in earnest and uh i'm very much looking forward to that it's really um, good fun i enjoy uh enjoy getting in touch with people and and you know figuring out the uh, the jigsaw puzzle that is the diary for next winter um so that gives me a bit of time to finish off uh this podcast so this episode 55 is going to be darren turner part two and this is the second half of the excellent conversation um that i had with darren in aosta in the autumn just before the ski season has just gone gone past um I had a wonderful chat with Darren and I was thinking of turning this particular episode into a three-part episode, but listening to the flow of it, it's much easier just for it to run as one long one. And this episode will end up being about an hour and a half long, which I know that you all don't mind. So, uh, so, um, I think it's going to be really good. Um, in this episode, we, we talk about, um, the development of the ski school app. If you remember from the last 
episodes of Darren has gone on to a life beyond skiing a little bit, still teaches, but uh, also is involved in, in um, film production and, and uh, um, making videos for, for, for corporations and that kind of thing. And we also talk about the philosophy of, you know, technical uh, skiing um, and teaching. There's a lot of stuff in that. And there's even a little bit about carve and some other things um, at the end as well. So, um, I really, really hope that you have enjoyed this two-part series with Darren as much as I enjoyed making it. Um, I think you can tell from the interaction that we had in this, especially in this second part, um, just how much fun we had sort of sitting there and chatting. And um, yeah, I hope you get as much out of it as I did uh, making it. Um, so on with the interview. Um, and we started by talking about his transition into the next part of his life after skiing which is video and film production enjoy the interview Let me, later on, I'd love to talk about skiing, teaching philosophy. We touched on it a little bit, but I want to follow the timeline a little bit. Yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong, and I've got the timeline wrong, because I'm guessing this based on what I've seen. But So, independent instructor. But as I see it, the really innovative and different thing that you did way before everybody else was that series of instructional videos on YouTube way before anyone else and did, was it that that led you off then into the, the kind of the world of media and video or was it just was that just like a, oh I see an opportunity there I'm going to do that and then yeah I mean in massive sort of double-edged sword it was so positive and great thing to do it's a shame it didn't follow how it could have gone mm-hmm. um but that's fine because it's all there's new things in the pipeline okay um yeah fundamentally i watched quite a lot of videos and saw some things on the internet yeah um and believed that i think they could be improved Mm-hmm. Without, again, it's not. It's very easy to poke at things and go. Mm, that's not no, very good, uh, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. don't do anything about it. Yeah. I didn't want to slag anything off. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get on and think and take what I believed would work. Okay. Um, met a couple of guys. Uh, one was a friend I'd known for a while. Another guy was a guy that did some filming for Salomon TV back in the day and all that. Um, and. We were f- we did some filming in Social Valley. They were trying to m- get some stock skiing imagery. We started doing a bit of that. Um, and it was towards the end of the season. And I remember finishing and just thinking, do you know what? There's, there's got to be a, a way we can use film and maybe do a series of technique. Since you got those guys there with you, right? Since I met them, since yeah, we yeah. worked together, since... You know, and I, I'd already, I did a little bit of filming in, back in Verbier with a guy called Guido Perini, who's sort of like Red Bull superstar okay. cameraman. 
I should try and again throw myself off cliffs and that's why I'm short. I used to be seven foot three. <laughs> really landed. My name was Barbara. Long I'm blonde sorry, hair. by the way, it's so cold in here. My wife's no, gone off with the right. heat, which is the heat. I'm trying to turn some lights on because I'm basically interviewing you in a dark room. Oh, here we go. Right. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so that I'd already done a little bit of skinny for film, and again, I think it was a bit of an ego thing back in back in those days. Mm. But um, after searching stuff online, I thought, why not make a series? Was there much in the way of online sort of? Yeah, there were some things online that I'd seen, but again, I think that was more of an inspiration than okay. a put off. Yeah, and. It, this is back in, you know, I think it was nine, ten years ago, something. At least, right? Yeah, yeah I remember seeing them. Yeah, yeah, it's about nine, ten years ago. And I remember having, a, I suppose, a bit of an epiphany and thinking, DVD is dead. Yeah. Online starting. Yeah. But why not have it as an application? Okay. So, I think it was a Jamie Oliver app. I saw, and I'd, before that, in my head, an app was a game, was a, yeah. a weather forecast, was a, and he did a series of menus and how to cook, and it was small videos on on the app. Okay, and that was like, that's it. Yeah, you need this in your pocket when you're skiing. It's not any, any good in a DVD machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. In the UK or back in your house, wherever it may be. Because because guys like Warren Smith had had a load of success with DVDs before. Yeah. But that was, you know, back in the day, people used to buy tapes and yeah, and and DVD series and stuff. Yeah, and get it and stick it in. Um, but the the idea was to have something that was in your pocket. Yeah, you know, you can watch it on a lift. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the world's changed a lot in this time. You know, we all the films are on the app. Yeah. So you didn't need a Wi-Fi connection. You could watch it when, when, and where you wanted. Oh, cool. And. Uh, James, one of the other guys, he said, look, I think we should stick it on YouTube. Mm. At least some of it, which will act as a... As like a feeder for the yeah. download of the app. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then that, that was just a shock because I never... I think it's nearly had 60 million views or something now. Yeah. Um, and I remember... Presumably you check the button that says income. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we were making AdSense and making um, making yeah. money, and the apps were selling, um, which was great. And you know, people like I remember speaking to Warren at the ski show one of the years, and he's like, "I don't know how have you done this?" Because yeah. he, you know, that people have been trying and throwing a lot of money at it to yeah. try and make it work. Um, I remember thinking. Because I had on notifications on my phone when people subscribed to the channel okay. on YouTube. Yeah. I remember just turning it off because it was just binging all the time. dinging and dinging and dinging. It's great. Um, no, it was amazing. It was amazing and yeah, and very unexpected to get. I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought the content was good, but I think what worked was a the simplicity. Yeah. It wasn't heavy technical jargon um it's quite light-hearted yeah and watchable and people would watch one and then they'd watch another one and then they'd watch another one and yeah. it wouldn't feel like um some dark craft yeah i would i watched a lot of films beforehand and as a professional who'd been skiing you know all their adult life and working with skiing 
if I'm starting to get a bored or confused halfway through, what is the average Joe going to do? Yeah. They're either going to blame themselves for thinking that I'm stupid yeah, or I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is often a common mm-hmm. issue. You know, people can have a lesson doing anything with a bad instructor of anything and blame themselves at the end of it. Oh, God, I'm not I'm a bad person. Yeah, yeah. I've obviously stupid, but in that, maybe they've just had a... The, the coach is not adapted to them. Doesn't even notice that they're maybe struggling understanding. I've definitely delivered a couple of sessions that have been overly technical in my life, and kind of I can see the look of confusion. Yeah, but you I, end up going down the warren hole because you've gone you've gone in technical, and then yeah. you have to go technical to explain what you've started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just I kind of did it because I thought that they were capable of. You need to get Stephen Hawkins to write yeah. a book about yeah, lessons. Pictures of the just, yeah, it's too much. And I still see, you know, I still, exactly as you said, you know, I remember thinking back and I remember just, you can see younger instructors not only confusing the client, but themselves. Yeah, yeah. But then you're in, you've started this technical (laughs) thing. Yeah, yeah. They um, don't realise that simplicity is key. Yeah, I'm just going to get a cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. I can't believe she went out with that key. Yeah, so... Yeah, keep it, and it, coming back to what we said about priming the client and getting something to stick to them. Yeah. So many people, I think, I see on the mountain will try and give their their guest, their client, six, seven things in a two-hour session. Yeah. Thinking what they're doing is giving them value for money, mm. but nothing's stuck. No, Jazz, Jazz uh, Lamb talked to me about um, the early podcast interview and he was always saying he was just looking, looking, looking. And some of these, he, he said it would take a certain bravery to do it, but to have two or three runs and you're still looking, still looking, still looking. And you're looking for that one thing that's going to make the most difference to that person. Yeah. And yeah, I tell you, like, he's right. It takes a certain amount of bravery to, to sit there and just analyse and analyse and just wait and just wait and just wait. A good way of doing it, though, is to to make the, the person almost anticipate that. Mm. Or as in, you can say, do you know what, Tony, there's something going on I'm still trying to work it out. And that's, I think, installs in them. Okay, he's looking mm. for this. It's like, you wouldn't be that happy with your doctor if he said, yeah, there's something wrong, but I'm not going to do any tests anymore because <laughs> I've had enough today. <laughs> so just you still talk about a few things. Yeah. I mean, it's still, you know, I don't want to go down that road yet maybe, but it baffles me how little or how many skiers that ski for decades still really don't understand what they're what doing yeah how they're doing fundamental concepts Mm -hmm. sometimes they've been maybe told wrong things maybe they've interpreted it wrong maybe yeah yeah, Yeah. you know it's hard to say but people actually trying to do things in a certain way that's really holding them back but they think that's exactly what they should be doing yeah because the message has come to them wrongly in a previous lesson or something yeah or they've as you said they've remembered it badly or yeah. it's it's yeah. well that's understandable right because there's a lot going on you know on people's holiday weeks you know they're not they're not gonna 
necessarily remember the one or two things that, that they got in that lesson that yeah. they had on the first day because you know they might have had an argument with their kids or something and you know, there's all yeah. sorts going on isn't and, and trying to get somebody to, to write maybe one or two things down at the end of a lesson just make a couple of notes if they want to I'm not going to stand there and force them to Yeah. and let's face it if everybody remembered everything you told you we'd probably be doing a lot less work but um, yeah that's true just trying to slow things down cement it maybe one or two smaller things again it all fits under this prime that client get them ready to then potentially have the piece that you put mm. on them and they go that is revolutionised my skiing in a two-hour session and that I don't to me that should be a consistent thing mm-hmm. that you can give somebody a two-hour lesson especially if they've not had much coaching and sometimes you know the amount of people that come to me have had a lot of gone on a lot of various ski courses mm-hmm. and they're confused as hell or trying to do something that really helps them back yeah yeah is it bad bad messages are they not listening to, you know it's it's just so variable isn't it because you can go between different resorts you get different people different ski schools different methodology different philosophies you know like you can't there's no one way to to skin a cat amongst ski schools so you're going to get a different thing each time and what someone sees is not necessarily what the other guy will see as important I mean, I would say my my clients these days are very different to ski school clients and actually not talking level of class skiing because I still teach at a lot of different levels. But I think the people are there. They've, A, found you. Mm. I mean, the, the lessons on YouTube still act as a huge publicity. They do? Yeah, I mean, I've had ski, um, skiers from all over the world that have, specifically come to Little Sir Chevalier for coaching rather Based than as it started when I started independently it would be much more I'm coming to Sir Chevalier these weeks yeah, and I don't want to go in a ski school mm-hmm. um, so I would say my clients are very different and they want they really want to learn yeah you know what it's like you know if, if somebody wants to be there and they want to learn yeah it's very different right? whereas random ski school lessons you would get a whole mixture of people with different agendas and different goals and, mm-hmm. and it always amazed me you know you'd be skiing and you have a sneaky look behind and the guys girl whatever skiing sort of with their hands in their pockets leaning back just doing all the classic sort of things wrong but if you actually physically turn your head they would yeah. Put a hand in front. <laughs> All of a sudden. And you yeah, think, well, why? I'm not saying it for me. It's no. Not... <laughs> it's true, right? Like, it's, it's you. It's for you to yeah. learn what am I... Yeah, so... um, We're not just playing a game here. Yeah. <laughs> it's bizarre, that, isn't it? Very. So, it's like, yeah. It's like, I'll say to them, it's like, we're not in... This isn't a school class. Like, because it's called a ski school, it's not an actual school like when you were at yeah. school. You are, I'm you not are like the teacher. I don't really care whether you're you do it or not. You're not getting I'm not going to talk to your parents <laughs> yeah. after this lesson. No, it's, it's like, weird. It's your loss, right? You yeah. don't do it. You don't do it. I don't, you know, it's still going to keep me awake at night, but my goodness. But okay. that, so I suppose, yeah, mm. going off on a tangent there, but the media stuff, that... Yeah. We ended up, I think, we made, I think this, there was something like over 100 films mm-hmm. in total. I think most of them on YouTube, not all. Over the course of how long? Three years or so. Okay. Um, so there was four apps, mm-hmm. beginner, intermediate, advanced, expert. Um, and 
Unfortunately, it things just start falling off a bit, falling apart. I think when you go into business with people, it's like a marriage, a relationship, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I just got started to get a bit fed up with feeling that actually it was all helping me, not being a business that we can go forward with. Okay. Because it was my name on the yeah, whole thing. For sure, yeah. um, but that was the product we went into. And um, no, it was, it was the best thing I've done. Yeah. As in, great, I did it, but it got to a point where it was like, you know what, it's, let's move on. It's difficult sometimes, business partners. Uh, I, find, I, I had one when I started the ski school, and he, Ben, I, congratulations on your new baby. Um, and we you know, parted on great terms, but he just didn't want the same thing that I wanted, yeah. and that's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he hit that, that I don't think you mind me saying, I don't think he, he hit that um, sort of classic wall where you have to either decide to spend the rest of your career, life, whatever, in the Alps, or, you know, you go home and get a, air quotes, real job. Yeah. And that's what he chose, and he's, he's you know, he's done a, a great thing where he is now doing what he's doing but it's it's just how it goes you know you, yeah and you, I think you, you need to be transparent same, and yeah. say what you want and, and it just got to the point where um, I think you know it wasn't called Darren's Turner Ski Coaching Technique app it was Ski School mm. app yeah um, but yeah there was a little bit of resentment I think that it seemed to be helping me and my skiing business but that it was a it was a tech it was a film about ski (laughs) technique um yeah so that the great thing was though that it taught me a lot about film yeah taught me a lot about presenting um gave me massive confidence that actually maybe that I was okay at standing there talking yeah and there was a there was a I don't think it's, there's nothing revolutionary about what I'm saying but I think just keeping it simple and getting it across in the right way yeah there is up to that point because I've been reflecting on this quite a lot lately it's that concept of like imposter syndrome you heard of this where you sort of yeah. you know where you're I'm only just if I'm honest with everybody I'm only just really starting to feel comfortable with who I am in this yeah. industry and I still in the presence of guys like you who've been around longer than I have I still feel like kind of not really no I think it's an interesting point um, I think I probably had it right from the days of 14 year old 15 year old yeah teaching people right well get forging lift passes and going on this race camp <laughs> and pretending yeah. that I'd been on snow when I yeah. hadn't and wanting to be this person up there but knowing that I probably was there and what am I doing and and yeah and there's still a little bit of that so it was nice to have that justification but that also led on to things like the series I did for Dina Star explaining to them there's a hell of a lot of stuff that goes into the making of these skis Mm. why aren't you telling your customers and explaining that element of it because they're working in industry they're kind of blinded Mm -hmm. to everything um, and they just think the, the process of getting a prototype ski to to a shelf 
was it just a normal thing they've done it for years and they're just going to keep doing it whereas for a lot of people it's quite fascinating absolutely yeah and they don't realise because it's just we make skis yeah that's what we do so that led on to, to doing some stuff with them um, I did a 15 part series of TUI with Crystal called Holiday Hacks um, and after that I kind of went do you know what I need to learn how to film I want to do the whole thing so I want to learn how to film edit I'm even making a bit of music for the films. I'm doing kind of doing the whole package. All right. Um, and now I'm kind of doing stuff for real estate, for yachts, for what the IT company I was supposed to go back for. Um, Let's dive into that a little bit more. So you said that you wanted to get better at it. My role in the podcast is to ask yeah. the questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That if it was me listening to the podcast yeah, driving 100%. along, I would be like, Dave, why didn't you ask this? So the you said you want to get better at did you go somewhere to learn how to do it uh yeah i went to youtube <laughs> <laughs> no i think um where you could learn anything aside, by the way um yeah exactly yeah. joking aside uh i got a camera i pitched a few pitches to some people not knowing anything um and now when i look back at them and i think oh my god they're terrible but I think it's like any process, you know, there is good has got no end point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when lockdown started, I bought a, I would say, the first proper camera. Okay. And tried to learn, you know, things like frame rates and shutter speed and what makes that shot interesting compared to that shot mm-hmm. boring. Okay. And and get quite geeky about all that. Um because I've worked with some really good camera guys. Yeah. And getting into it, you end up going filming and it be like, why does my my stuff doesn't look as good as theirs? I mean, a lot of it is they've done it for 10 years, you know. So like they just know what looks Yeah, like. giving depth to a shot and thinking about where I'm going to be and how's that shot going to work with that. And yeah. um, what's interesting, like if I think about, I used to go and film and I'd get home and think about the edit and then you'd look through and there's probably 20% of what I shot would be usable okay whereas now it's probably more 80-90% of what you shoot is usable because you know that that shot is going to work with that and then I'm going to go to there and so you're editing in your head as you film ah yes and your shots are better and so this is what I was I've often sat here and wondered this because I I consume pretty much yeah, I don't. We don't have TV. Yeah. I, I pretty much YouTube is, is yeah, the yeah, place yeah. I go for that kind of stuff, and I watch a lot of kind of motorbike content because that's my hobby outside yeah. skiing. And I often wonder with the videos that I watch. So they'll be testing like a new bike somewhere yeah. on a racetrack or something like this, and I'm like, how did they stitch this together? to get all of this stuff in the right order and then all these little infill bits that they do in between the bits and, and you're like the only way that this can be possible is if as they are doing it or as they are there they've got an idea in their mind how it's all going to roll out and stitch together in the editing process yeah. and so they know that they need certain shots you, if they know roughly what the video is going to look like at the end and like the well, it's coming back to teaching a good lesson has a beginning, middle, and an end. Yes, it does. Yeah. And if you know that that's your story, 
you know, you can be fairly fluid. I mean, back in, back when we filmed Ski School App, he, the poor camera guy, editor, um, because I didn't do scripts. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped with the, the way that the film worked. It really helped because it was much more like a lesson yeah. rather than I'm now going to put my weight on that ski <laughs> and yeah, yeah, then, yeah. you know, and you don't sound like Roland from, mm. from Grand Chill. That's just for the English listeners. Sorry, anyone else? Oh, my God. It dates Roland. everyone, though. Um, yeah. But the, the end result was better, but it was really hard to put together for him because I would... The, the sentence structure and all that would be a little bit all over the place, but we got... Everything was there, but it just took longer to squeeze it out. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think when you become more used to filming and the guys you're watching probably on the motorbike things, mm-hmm. yeah, they they will have an idea of what's going to happen. They might not have to write everything down into a shot list. I don't really do that. Mm. Some people will have to. Some people really work. That's an opening shot. That establishes where I am. That's that's where I'm going to be. And that's if, when you watch TV mm. and something, James, the original cameraman of Ski School app, he, you know, he said, we all watch a lot of TV. You, if something doesn't work, you probably won't be able to say why it didn't work but your brain will go, I don't want to watch this, it's weird, it's boring. Oh, yeah? Okay. You'll switch off. I mean, the internet now... Yeah. You probably, to the untrained eye, you wouldn't say, that film was rubbish because duh, 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 duh. You would just go, I'm not watching that. And you switch off and you move on to the next one. Mm. Okay. I think, generally speaking with YouTube, doesn't matter what it's about, if you feel that the person's giving you information Mm. and you kind of feel that they're honest and you kind of like them, Mm. you'll watch their content. Yes. Even if it's not necessarily best filmed, even if it's not Mm. the most amazing images, if it's not shot on a 50 grand camera, the narrative and the content is what makes it engaging. That's true. And sometimes if it is amateurish, it's like part of it. Yeah, and you can, I mean, you give somebody who knows how to make a film can make a better film on an iPad, uh, iPhone than, you know, somebody. Because the storyboard flows. Yeah, and they're going to know how to use it, and that angle's going to be there. If I put you higher in the shot, it gives you a fear, the viewer, a feeling you're powerful. Oh, right. If I put the camera above you, you're smaller. Yeah, yeah. You know, all these little tricks that you kind of pick up. no, I find it, it's interesting. I wouldn't. Have, I don't think I would have gone down the road if if I didn't enjoy it. But did you? So you haven't done any kind of formal learning. You've done the same thing you did like previously, which is kind formal of formal learning. It, but formal kind of learning of doing, of, yeah, yeah, doing and working with with other people and kind of picking it up. But I think that it helps standing in front of groups and delivering content. Yeah, for sure. It's not. It's not really any different to to doing it in front of a group of people than to a camera apart from some people as soon as you put a camera in front of them they climb up to hell yeah my show off element probably helped me through that do you um, I spoke to a number of people about this do you is that you off camera as in are you quite like a showman or is it all an act in front of the camera Uh, I'll put it on the table I am the opposite so I'm kind of I don't really I shy away from all that, but in a lesson situation, something turns on. Yeah, because I think you're, like, you're being paid to do it. 
And yeah. that sounds silly, but yeah, it's yeah. it's like people, I'm sure you've had it as well, people say, I don't know how you teach people. Once you're being paid and that's your job, yeah. and you've trained to do that job and you want to be doing that job, obviously it's a different thing than, I don't know, some guy on holiday teaching his friend to ski down this little and thinking, this is my holiday, I don't want to be doing this. So yeah, obviously yeah. it's never going to work. Yeah. Um, now, I'm... I'm it never bothered me to start. I used to work a lot, well, in entertainment and things like that, mm-hmm. and bars, and yeah. it would bother me a lot less to stand up in front of 200 people and, and speak publicly than it would do filling a form in a, in a bank. That would make me sweat and clam mm-hmm. up. Yeah. Being a, a gobshite. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was a, and to yeah. me, that's something you have to do in front of the camera. You, you're kind of you, but 15%. Yeah, yeah, you have to more because yeah. it, you can, it's very easy to stand in front of a camera and come across it as a boring fart. That flat, yeah, that's <laughs> my nature when I have to do stuff. And, and also ticks. Like again, the first thing I used to say, "Okay, so" in front of everything. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah. Okay, so and the guy actually edited them all together. Yeah. And sh- and I was like, I had no idea I was saying that. Okay, so. Okay, so uh, what we're gonna? <laughs> um, it gives you that little thinking space. That's what that is, isn't it's it? A, yeah, it's, it's like a thinking a, space. A, a lot of people go. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, e, e. But so also, I, I've noticed when I've been listening to the edits of these and cutting them, I don't say "uh" at all when I'm speaking to someone in the thing. When I'm doing the introduction to these, it's full of thinking spaces like that. Yeah. It's like, uh, and it's like. Yeah, because this doing? is a two-way chat. Yeah. Which, if you can, if you're filming interviews or doing stuff, it's so much easier to do it like this. Yeah. Than when somebody's just got to deliver some of this camera. Mm-hmm. I mean. I, I yeah. Now I have to kind of I write down the topics and I kind of practice them, and make sure they flow in to, to minimize that that thing. Because I, I don't know. Sorry, listener, for all these. No, but it's, it's yeah. It's like anything. If you the more you stand in front of a camera and the more you do it. And what's nice now is to be sort of almost to finish off what you're saying that mm. to be fairly competent behind the camera, in front of the camera, mm. drone shots, think about how it's going to work, put the edit together, put edit it to the music. Yeah, it's been a long process to get, as opposed to a point where I can go, yeah, that's I'm proud that's of that. What I do work. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is going to lead me going back to trying to produce more ski content. How did you learn, this question just popped in my head, how did you learn to price this stuff? Because like, when you're a ski ski pro, right, coach, shock to call it what you want, like you know roughly what you need to charge you, right, sort of in comparison with everybody yeah. else. But if Rossignol comes to me and says, oh, I need to produce a video and it needs to have like three, you know, 10, con- 10 episodes and it's all about how we manufacture skis how do we even go about like knowing what what to pitch that at? yeah I mean again it's like anything if, oh did if, you make those mistakes right at the start yeah I mean I think okay. you can always make the mistakes the it's in the same way if you're a builder or if you're a painter or you kind of work out what you think how long it's going to take you yeah and work back um, and add a bit more on because there's always going to be Mm. cock-ups or things that take longer or I mean you need a certain amount of equipment obviously which mm-hmm. is an investment yeah um, you know if a builder's going to come around your house part of what you're paying for is his tools yeah that's right 
and the hands that work those tools. But mm. um, yeah, quotes is horrible. Yeah. Because there's, I mean, what what's quite nice is being in a one man, almost a one man unit is that a, the way a lot of these companies will go to is go to a production company. Right. They'll have a guy that they'll speak to at the production company. He will then brief a producer, a, maybe a director. If it's a fairly big shoot, mm-hmm. producer, director, one, maybe two camera guys, a sound person. If they need a voiceover, they'll get someone to do a voiceover. If they need somebody to speak to the camera, they'll get a guy to do that. Yeah. Um, so for some of these companies, it's a lot cheaper for them to pay me to try and do all of that mm-hmm. than it would be to pay a production company that's got five, six people maybe working. And they're all freelancers, aren't they, in that industry? Depends. I mean, it can change a lot. Right. Depends on that. And it's not a question that their work won't be good. It will be. Yeah. Um, but it may may really outprice what they want to do. I mean... In, and it gets complex when you've got that many moving parts, right? Production, in general, I remember, again, this is not me saying this, is that James generally said product, high-end production... Similar to what we did with Ski School app, or mm-hmm. you know, good cameras, good audio. We spent time doing them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a GoPro, you know, it's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, he kind of said edited, color graded, music, da 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 da, you're looking at about a thousand pounds a minute. A minute? Wow. Generally. Like finished on air minute. Finished on air minute, music, right. edited. Quacky. Um So it's not cheap if you were to pay a production company to film your ski school a series of 30 films yeah. high end production values it's wow. not a cheap venture no it's not is it and a mountain's not an easy environment to film in no you've got to have the right day presumably you've got to get everyone there yeah. on the right day when the sky is blue like no one's going yeah to but and also the weather never will <laughs> never remember, place remember we filmed things about skiing in flat light you know and it was like hi right, the light's crap let's let's film flat light and then you'd be halfway through the intro and the sun will come out <laughs> um, but it's 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 quite it's been a nice little offshoot and I'm I'm certainly not giving up skiing um mm. But is that direction that that you're? It's or is that is that? It's just it's nice to choose. You in that yeah, it was just direction. nice to be able to not choose. Some, that's the wrong word, but do a bit of both. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea. In the next few years, is just to recombine it all and start again, trying to churn out a decent amount of content around skiing, ski technique, skiing, skiing in general. Yeah, places. Yeah. So, okay, cool. That's it's well, it's nice because I think that the, when I look at I look at the ski school and I look at skiing in general, what there's a couple of things that I can see where it might end up going is one, if I build the ski school well enough, someone might come along one day and say, "Hey, I'd like to buy mm. that." Now, that might be a thing. Two. I really enjoy doing it. It's kind of like, for me, it feels like an enormous game, almost. Yeah. I don't really worry too much about money and numbers and stuff. It's just like, it's a way of keeping score, but like, I just enjoy it. I like sort of playing with this thing that I built and seeing what it could do and what it can't do. But 
I can't, I'm actually now at the point where I can't really see what else I would do apart from maybe consult to help people to build their thing in order, you know, to, to, to where my thing is. Yeah. You know, I know the process, I know how to do that. But the kind of, I wouldn't say I'm stuck in it, but it's nice to know that there are there are other people that are, are, are or have gone through that, come out the other side doing something different and then, you know... Yeah, I mean, if I, if there, I there could say options. to mine, this is maybe interesting for some of your listeners that are maybe, you know, younger, uh, aspiring trainees, ski instructors or thinking about it or... Um, I mean, it's, it's ne- A, it's never too late to start thinking about a different career, but quite often the careers find you and you end up being interested in it. But if I could say to my 20-year-old ski instructor-y type person, get something else, uh, certainly for the off-seasons, mm-hmm. I mean, I've never been that interested in kind of going skiing all year round. Yeah. You know, mountain biking still a big passion of mine in the summers, and to miss out summers would be... Yeah, yeah, I hear you. But to yeah. be able to say to a young ski instructor or somebody interested in getting into industry, trying to find something else that they are passionate about and love that mm. could maybe connect with what with skiing as well, but just have it get in a career and, and investing in time and money and trying to but you've got to know what you want to do as well. Mm. Which to be honest, when you're twenty years old. Yeah, no idea. Maybe thirty. Might have a slight idea. Maybe. Maybe forty. <laughs> Yeah, maybe when I'm ninety, I'm like, shit. That's why I should have done my life. Well, yeah, I've got the so I bored the listeners to death again about about this before. But the the, so my other hobby is motorbikes. I love doing that, but I don't want to turn that into work. Well, I used to mountain bike guide in the summers. Yeah, you see, does that kind of went into that and started going through the whole French diplôme thing? And I remember just getting to a point and going, "What am I doing?" Because a lot that, of the guides that I worked with mm. never went riding for themselves. Yeah. And I just kind yeah. of thought, look, I'm, yeah. I'm not... Plus, it, do you know what? It's not... I found it quite hard to work with. There's a lot of people breaking themselves and a lot of... Um, it's really dangerous mountain biking. Yeah. I'd I mean, say more than skiing. You hit stuff, like, hard. Trees and yeah, rocks can, and things. Yeah, you can... Uh, the helicopter goes more often in the summer than it does in the winter. It, it goes wrong quite quick. I mean, you think about how many... if how many crashes high speed slow speed whatever you probably had on skis and got out mm. I mean I've been very lucky over the years but I did my luck ran out about I think it was about four years ago now downhilling in Italy mm. in South Sudu just around the corner and we did the loop and we went up and did it again and there's a bit of a drop it was about three metre drop into a left hand bend and it all went wrong and I just landed slightly off balance hit this route front wheel left it and I sort of hit this bank knew my collarbone had gone straight away so my collarbone was broken and I thought that was kind of it went home laid on the sofa a bit after coming out of the doc, uh, the hospital and they said yeah you've broken your collarbone sent me home and then I passed out at home my wife was going crazy and thinking oh my god what's going on because I sort of stood up and passed out and fell on the floor right. and cut my head open um, went to my doctors the day after and it turned out I'd broken the middle of my sternum Ooh. and the side they call it floating ribs so the whole bit the whole rib cage was floating my left lung was full of blood and my hip was fractured what <laughs> so I did and no one noticed it the, the guy just x-rayed my 
I think I was being quite. Well, uh, yeah, broken collar then. Next one. So yeah, you can. Mm. But saying all of that, that's by far the worst crash I'd had biking. I've broken a thumb in here before and broken a wrist here. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it all kind of came at once. But what are you going to do? You're not going to... I think if you're going to do any sport to any level, at some point you're going to have... Yeah. You can be really lucky. I mean, as I said at the, right at the beginning, mm. you know, some of the biggest crashes I've probably had on skis have ended up in in nothing. Um, I always have the same crash on skis. Fall to the inside, my right foot. Your right foot inside but or your... Off my left foot. So I fall to this side, always. Always. It's just like the, the warmth. It's my thing. So I don't, I, my back what is now so dress? broke. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe what it my, is. Uh, maybe, yeah, it's like a pro tip. No, it's, I don't... Early season... Well, in fact, I don't anymore very well because my back is ruined. But the, the I don't... Uh, what do you call this? Separate very well in the middle of my body. So I ski in a quite... A, angulate or angulate. separate? That's, yeah. Yeah, separate is the other one. The... Um, and you're right-footed, I'd assume. I'm right-footed, yeah. yeah. So I kind of ski most of the season on my right foot. And so it's always there, and it just slips away. And I end up like sliding down the slope. Past people. Looking at Hi. it. Hi. Oh, this is cool. Hi. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> this is my thing. <laughs> this is my turn. I like this. Uh, yeah. Um, no, but I could see ways, jumping back to where we were, so I could see ways that you could make money from motorbiking. Yeah. But I'm very deliberately not touching it because I've had a weird time in the last few years about skiing where I've kind of done the same thing, not gone skiing for myself because... Yeah. It's because I'm doing... Because I've turned the thing that I used to love into what I do. As yeah, if your, work, if your hobby becomes your work, it's not your hobby anymore. And so that's why I've ended up going down the road of, like, telemarketing in my spare time. Yeah. It's because I'm not very good at it and I... I um, I really enjoy it, and so I'm not not going to touch it, you know, at all. I'm not going to turn it into anything. I'm definitely not going to start telling what's cool. And it's definitely when not you on say my that, list. Well, I've heard so many people say I'm definitely not going to do that. But um, yeah, no telemark. I mean, the thing is with telemarking, it's so. I I one of the first jobs I had in the Alps was guiding for a hotel. Yeah. Again, this is back in the day where it was all a bit kind of wild westy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I put just started telemarking because it was a way for me to be in Muppet again. Yeah, and slow. Yeah, and I could still outski the even probably after not being cockier. This is more a comment on the bad skiers we had, but mm. after a week was still able to outski the best skiers we had on telemarks, and it just I think I did two seasons. Mm. where I maybe put on skis once in a while yeah um, so it's nice to yeah to feel like a muppet but I do yeah. have my friends come out or you know yeah. they, 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 so otherwise I just don't get bored yeah or and it's a different feeling and yeah it's quite nice that was what I mean I, I'd stuck a snowboard on for probably about five or six hours in my life mm-hmm and I just hated it's not the right word it was again nice to feel like a muppet but I didn't like the feeling because I think I'd skied 
and telemarked a lot by this stage. Yeah. The feeling that whatever my right foot did, the left foot would have to do something. Yeah, yeah, okay. If that blocked. Yes. Not like a skateboard where, you know, you can move your feet or a surfboard yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever. Um, I'm not really good at going sideways, I think. Um, well, I heard, so I've spoken to a number of people about this, and I, I surfing is very different snowboarding, mm. apparently, according to those guys. And, and um, I think skateboarding is, is the same, but the, apparently in surfing, you're very front on, so you sort of cross the board like that, mm. so your chest is facing the front of the board. But we had a, a day, I think it was last year or the year before, where we had a training day specifically for snowboarding. So we got like a top level Basie yeah. um, coach to come down and some of our guys were teaching snowboarding, were skiers that were teaching snowboarding. And um, I got back on the snowboard first time, must be in five years at least. And well, one, I can barely reach down and do up the buckle stuff. Yeah, I just don't have that range of movement in my back anymore. And um, and I was like, yeah, I'm just like I'm too old to be sitting on the floor. You know, this is a bit much. But did it. But on the way home, uh, he gave us a couple of tips, which made a revelation yeah, yeah, sure. to like how to ride snowboard. But he was, I hooked up a couple of like front, I think called fronts or toe side turns, front side mm. turns, whatever they are. Um, I hooked up a couple of those on my way back, and I was like, oh. Nice. Oh, I know what yeah. it, uh, now I, I get it. I get what this is, this thing. And it feels good when you like. Yeah, really, it's not in any way, really, in any way, a, a anti snowboard thing at all. You know, a lot of, uh, over the years, a lot of the, my favorite people to go up the mountain with, if I'm not working and, mm. and go and try and have some bigger lines off piste, would be snowboarded. Yeah, yeah. It was just for me, I felt really blocked. Oh, I, I get that. I mean, I I'm get what sure you're saying. six hours is probably not. No, but you're locked into it. I get it. There's nothing yeah, independent. Just felt really, yeah, yeah. yeah, completely blocked and, and weirdly yeah. kind of, um, I felt, yeah, prisoned. Like someone just yeah. dropped me in cement. Yeah. They're very, um, the best, well, the British snowboards that I've noticed, this is a real tangent, the British snowboards I've noticed, they're very square. Mm. So everything stays like, they look like statues riding along. The Swiss guys are much more flary, but and so I guess the French guys too. But the but what it did do, security, it's made me start a snowboard school mm. because I got back from that thinking, well, actually, the last thing that these guys need who snowboard is a skier showing up who does a bit of snowboarding on the side. That's not really fair, and that's not really doing it justice because it is. I tell you, snowboarding is. It's like a it's still I think it's gone sort of full circle it's actually now it's like it's what the little brother does it's rebellious it's kind of what you know it's gone back to being a bit counterculture because everyone's got back into skiing now there was yeah, a big boom gonna wasn't turn. yeah it was a big boom yeah. and then, then to be and, honest a lot of the skiers or the youngsters were skiing was cooler and the more thing yeah. to do and yeah and so yeah we just I thought myself well these guys deserve like their own place to hang out and the guy that shows up to give you your snowboard lesson should be a snowboarder. It should be the only thing that he does. Yeah, and also it's going to put someone off. Um, if, if, and you see it in anything, but if the client or the person paying for coaching is looking at who they're being coached by and thinking, I'm not sure that that's what I want to be doing and I'm not yeah. sure they know what they're talking about right. and I'm, it undermines the whole thing. And they're not into it, you know. That, no. that's a, it's a really important thing. So I've kind of recruited on that basis and we're, we're getting going with that this winter. It's going to be really... It's a funny, really different exciting. thing. I do think a lot of snow, 
and I'm talking about the probably the average British snowboarder as a like a recreational snowboarder. I think they don't follow lessons in the same way lots no, of people do. No, they don't. Absolutely not. You know, once they can turn left or right and get down a, a yeah, blue, they're gone. And it's a shame because I think you know knowing knowing quite a few very good snowboarders and I mean Sochevelier is the home of Pierre Voltier and, mm-hmm. and Charlotte Charlotte Banks lives around the corner you know yeah. both world champions board across um, seeing a, a decent level of snowboarder instructor mm-hmm. and being able to completely change in a short time the average snowboarder going down the mountain because they think they don't I don't know whether it's just that uh, it's a bit cool I don't need a lesson I don't know there is certainly not the same level of like um, there isn't the same culture of continuing development of your skills as there is in skiing maybe it's a bit it's a bit sad if maybe it's sad but you should see I mean the top guys who do snowboarding you've seen them as well as I have they're magicians yeah totally it's extraordinary what they can do Totally. And um, I don't know why you wouldn't want to aspire to be that good. But again, it comes back down to the personality of people. I think the people that come to me normally are a type of... They're not necessarily thinking they're going to be the best gear in the world, mm. but they want to do it as well as they can. They quite often yeah. run their own businesses. Yeah. They probably are that type of person that they want to ski down that slope as well as they can mm-hmm. and they want to keep progressing yeah yeah and if some if they can't do something it annoys them and niggles them yeah 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 so they'll invest the time and effort into trying to sort it out i know someone like that it's me <laughs> <laughs> no, but again it's it's you're not somebody who's going to work for somebody else and just do a nine to five no, I, I don't think I could, even if I tried. Same for you, right? So it's 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 a type of person. And again, trying to work out in a short amount of time, I think is a big thing for any instructor of anything. This lesson is for that person. And I'm doing this because I think it's going to work for that person better. Mm. I mean, I've got a couple that I ski with quite a lot. They've, they've got a property in Sashvalier, and I refuse to teach them together. They ski very similar husband and wife um, but purely because they can't have a lesson together we can go skiing together he's the most analytic he needs to know everything da, da, da. Yeah, she yeah. is she listens and hears and is rhythm and da, da, da. you couldn't have two people further apart <laughs> yeah and if I if I talk to him about skiing and she's even slightly hearing it she just gets paralysis through this analysis yeah yeah and yeah if I'm talking to her about rhythm and it, he's looking at me like, what the hell are you, you smoke something? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I said to them, look, we can go skiing. Yeah. But I'm not going to, I can't coach you together. That's fair enough, right? Different people yeah. in different well, it's ways. Quite, it's good. We do more skiing. But yeah. um, it's just interesting trying to change, trying to really streamline whatever your information is, is at least gone through a thought of thought process about who is who am I delivering that information to rather than just lesson three lesson four this ties in neatly with my last sort of thought bubble here which is philosophy of skiing and teaching so let's start with skiing uh, teaching rather since we're already on it so that's that forms a large part of how you would teach is first understanding who it is that you're teaching yeah, I, th- I think um, 
anybody inexperienced trying to give information kind of thinks that their mouth is the only way they're going to get that information across. Mm-hmm. Whereas listening, looking, to me is the first major way of understanding what we're going to do in yeah. a session. Again, trying to listen to them. What do you think of your skiing? And taking listening to what they're saying gives you hints that maybe they are misunderstanding. They're actually trying to do something that is holding them back, but they yeah they they still think that is the area they should do. Putting them at ease, priming whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, um, and not throwing a million things at. You'd know, be better off giving them one solid thing that works, yeah, that can stick and can kind of hopefully be there rather than three days after you've given them four or five things, they've all fallen off and yeah. been blown off in the wind and then they don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, yeah, slowing down. Slowing down, as we touched on earlier, you know, watching more than two or three runs actually giving yourself as a coach time to digest and look at what you're working with mm. and slowing it down run to trying to being paranoid that if you don't revolutionize or give a massive blah 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 do this do this in the first 20 minutes of a lesson mm. they might think that you're not a good instructor yeah i think there it's two things in that isn't there there's there's the one that's like you sort of feel like you should be delivering value for money, therefore you feel like you've got to be working, working as in talking yeah. from the word go. And yeah, it's that pressure, isn't you it? Run it's off, that... You run off in the first five minutes with a di- an idea. Mm. If it's the wrong idea, you're going to waste that whole session. That's right. So backing off. Yeah. I'm not saying don't maybe give them one or two things to think about. As you said earlier, you know, what's mm. the snow feel like? What's the yeah. thing? But trying to ask questions, watch. It takes a certain amount of experience to have that bravery to be able to do that, though. If you're, if you're They've le- got to believe in you. Yeah. If they don't, you know, if you if they believe in you, you could tell someone, do you know what? Dave, you've got to ski down here with your penis out. That's going to work for you. So that's a way you're going to ski better. If they believe you, they'll do it. Okay, I've been arrested twice now. No, but yeah. joking aside, if they trust in your ability, mm-hmm. your knowledge, what you're doing with them, that's going to go a long way. And that comes down to you being sure about what you're doing. Yeah. You're the professional there. And we've all done it. You know, as a younger instructor, you're going to start throwing things at somebody. And you're just, you are literally seeing what's going to stick. You have no plan. No. And the worse you doubt yourself, the more things you start throwing. Mm-hmm. So slowing it down and, and being sure that actually that, as I said, you know, there's a beginning, a middle and an end. That beginning phase, I think, is often rushed. And it's not the beginning of a lesson. That's for you as a coach to take a bit of time to work out what where you're going to go down. To take the time to to see where the beginning actually is. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sound advice. And not rushing in mm. and, and trying to give six, seven bits of advice. Mm. Three hours is a lot of time. You yeah. know, you've got plenty of time to kind of do that initial analysis. 
And it's funny, I mean, going all the way back to learning on a dry slope and there was a, a really good, uh, I remember the instructor trainer thing and he said, you know, if you've got somebody and you see three or four problems, mm-hmm. sometimes tackling one of the main ones, the other things often disappear anyway. Yeah, that's true. You can it's liken that to like... It's always true, but it's, you yeah. know, it's like, what am I going to decide how this story is going to go rather than they pay me. I've got, I've got to start throwing things at them now, quick. Ooh, uh, otherwise, they're going to get fed up. That's true. You can liken that a little bit like to like physiotherapy or my trips to the chiropractor. Hmm. You know, if he puts everything back in line, then actually the muscles then just relax and everything yeah. just drops into where it should be. So you've solved two or three other things with this one thing. Yeah. But, you, but you've got to work out what the priority thing is. Yeah, Having and again, knowing uh, and, and, and listening at the beginning. I mean, uh, coming back, especially I think it's something with pretty good skiers sometimes. They are trying to do things that aren't... For, they're actually trying to do things because of their misunderstanding mm. that is really holding them back. Yeah. Rather than spending the time to explain it. So I think putting things into three things, there might be tactical things that you're trying to work on. There might be technical things, whatever you think is a technical thing, but you know, have you put your hands here, try and do this, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And then just quite often explaining in a better way what they're trying to achieve. Because mm-hmm. quite often that is a massive light bulb moment for people. Hold on, I've been trying to do that. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to whack all my edge on early in the turn. That's what I thought I was supposed to do. And then they're wondering why they're going Mac 50 down something slightly steep. <laughs> well, yeah, especially when it's not appropriate to the conditions that, you know, you often find people skiing the same way. I think especially Brits, the snow, right? they like black and white answers. Yeah. So when you kind of say, it's not always like this, mm. it's like, well, I know I want a black and white answer. Yeah, that's true. And just almost put into people, you know, if the slope was always the same, if the snow texture was always the same, if you're always on the same kit and your goal is always the same, then you can block those things off and maybe always do it like that. But that doesn't happen. The constantly the snow is changing, your equipment's changing, the terrain's changing, it's always changing. So therefore, in a way, you're constantly changing. So then what's just jumped into my head now is the difference in this world that we have between the linear thinkers and the lateral thinkers. And I wonder how many high-level skiers are more lateral thinking. That linear mode is kind of like, I do this because this is the sequence that it follows, whereas maybe your lateral thinkers is making well, what you, of, you know, When you ski on any snow... Yeah, skiing is a collection of variables, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, to be able to say, well, I'm going to, in my head somewhere, put together all those three things or four things that are happening in this moment there, and that's the answer, that's the move I've got to make. That's not a process. If like, you're going to ski down any slope, the first, probably the first thing you want to look at the snow... Mm-hmm. You know, an experienced skier doesn't even think about it, but that's what they're doing. They're probably taking in the snow because of experience, thinking, what the last time I saw that, what did it ski like? Mm-hmm. 
putting the sn- a pole on the snow before even going, stabbing the snow, having a feel, whether it's piece to off piece to whatever. Mm-hmm. The first two or three turns, you're maybe just, again, tasting it mm-hmm. and getting a feel for it. That's certainly what I do. And then you, you're going to build with that. And, and a lot of, it amazes me, a lot of even quite experienced skiers that want to get better just kind of jump in and don't. They do the same move irrespective of yeah, what's Yeah, and then think, oh, I'm not skiing well, or I'm not yeah, doing yeah. this well. And then they blame yeah. a million other things. It's because you're, if you like, I quite often talk about things like edge, pressure, rotation, you know, the classic kind of three things. Mm-hmm. You remember the old graphic equalizers? Ah, I do that. Yeah. You do that too. Yeah, yeah. So, I draw so, all the bar charts on the Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. depending on where you are yeah. and the amount of people that I say, the problem with your skiing is that, Someone stuck super glue on them. Mm-hmm. So, when you're on the terrain that works for your settings, you're happy. Yes. But as soon as the terrain isn't right for your settings, you don't have that ability to be able to adjust and move. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like one of those big mixing desks. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the DJ man. Yeah. Um, someone still around uses those. Probably. <laughs> 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 but um, and yeah, not complicating it. No. Tell me about, um, this will be the last one, because I've kept you way long enough. At least the Italian man stopped shouting. He has, he's he's, he's had (laughs) Tell me, uh, we talked about philosophy, teaching. Let's talk about sort of technical skiing philosophy. Like what, is is there like a way that you like to do it? What do you, what do you do when you ski? Um, you think too hard. I, I think the process for me, and it might not be the same for everyone, is that yeah, you've got to experiment and think about certain things. Obviously, and go through a slight phase of that. Hips are, where your hip is is is, to me, key. In a vertical horizontal plane. Um, one of my big gripes I suppose with a lot of skiers that come to me is that they kind of have got an impression that they should keep their hips facing down the hill you mm. you touched on that earlier about somebody on a surfboard yeah their hips might be kind of facing where across the snap the mm-hmm. if you like the right? across yeah. the equipment but their chest can still be there yeah that the articulation between, say, your your chest and your hips, mm. that is a massive articulation there. Yeah. So too many people, I think, come and think, right, I've got to keep my chest down the hill, which might be appropriate for the turns that they're doing, and it mm. could be a good thing for them to be able to do. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they have to lock their hips facing down the hill. And that, no. to me, holds a lot of people back, and they end up with this huge leg lead and very steery turns. Yeah, because, leaving the outside leg behind. Uh, yeah, and, and once you can start actually getting people to sort of drive their hip through the turn and stay in a much stronger position mm. that allows them to free up a lot of movement, they can incline more, they can add edge angle through their ankles, mm. they can take it off, whereas when they get in that very blocked position, all of those movements are virtually physically impossible. Two things about that. One, I think the hip is a tremendously powerful joint. 
and I think with the advent of modern curved skis, curved ski, curved edge skis, parabolic skis, the actually the ski promotes a much more. It's much better to go with the ski with your hip. It's stronger rather than fighting it, right? The, yeah. The, the, the downhill hip thing is an old school thing when the skis used to be. You still do see a, I see a lot of, of lessons on the mountain where somebody has probably come to the ski school and said, I want to learn how to carve. Yeah. And the instructor will kind of get the person to almost slide the inside ski forward and tell them almost to imagine you're going to sit on a bar stool and you're going to lift oh, your yeah, leg. Oh, yeah, like the scissoring thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and whack the hip on and, hey, presto, the skis go on an edge and they carve... And the client is maybe, oh, I can carve better. And yeah. as soon as you get onto anything steeper or... It doesn't work. It yeah. obviously doesn't work. It doesn't work. You've got no steering ability. You can't And you're skeletally weak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as soon as you're getting steeper, faster, there's more pressure, there's more angles, there's more force, your body isn't in any kind of position unless you're super strong. Mm. Um, to be able to deal with it mm. now whether that's you know I don't read tons of manuals I have read this and that and the French system and the British system a little bit I've not really actually seen a basic manual really but it works for it's, it's worked for me mm. um, I still like to think I can get better um, I, I mean I love a good pair of skis on the on piste on hard snow. Yeah, he doesn't. I'm uh, with you on that. The, well, I think, yeah, I think the hip is kind of... Well, it's going to affect, the hip's going to affect anything above and below. Yes. So it's, 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 it's really the, the ringmaster. What, what strikes me is the power that is contained yeah. within the hip is incredible. You can kind of make it do anything. And also, if you, if you really want, there's a whole bunch of kind of stuff you can do to get the skis to turn that would be contrary to the whole bar stool thing, for yeah. example. Like, if you really want to, you can positively rotate everything into the yeah, turn, yeah. and it still works, you know, because as long as you've got control of this hip area. Now, for years, I used to kind of, I think it was Andy McCann used to tell me that. So you would point, you know, at, at turn rotation, you kind of get everything pointing sort of inside the turn. Yeah. And it worked, worked perfectly well. Um, and I do that a little bit now, but I've gone back to doing it because what it does is it delays it delays me going inside too early. So it sort of creates a long setup yeah. for the turn. But you can achieve the same thing actually by doing that, as long as you've got control of it's an audio podcast, so I'm saying yeah, he's doing that. To say no, we're so no, both yeah. naked in this room. <laughs> <laughs> You can kind of count yourself towards the outside of the turn, but as long as you've got control of your hip area, you can pretty much do whatever you want with yeah, the turn. It, it, it's, if it's work, I mean, the thing at like, the end of the day, there are subtle. You see subtle differences in the best gears in the world. Yeah. But it's working for them, and we're all built differently. You're going to walk down the road differently. We've yeah. all got different things. I'm shorter, so I could maybe get away with massively inclining more than somebody six foot four. For sure. Um, but experimenting. And, and I think 
you know, the way you as a ski instructor ski down the slope, that's obviously your job window. Yes. And I think it's a shame when you see a ski, and I know quite a few that, you know, they, four years have gone by, they haven't serviced their skis, for example. They're, they're looking at their boots and thinking that, how do they perform? I'm not saying that the, you need yeah, to yeah. change your boots every five minutes, but... No, but you've got to look right, right? Well, you've got to, the equipment's got to work for you. Mm. Um, and getting to, trying to stay in a point where, yeah, do you know what? The, the one element of my skiing and biking that I can't do anything like I used to do is jump. Uh, I'm skiing, skiing bumps, you know, just, mm. it just physically I haven't got that range of movement. Um, but generally just trying to keep improving. Mm. And learn and still learning and watch people mm. and look at them very hey, I want to ski like that. I want to be able to ski down a hill like that. Yeah. You know, being lucky enough to ski with a few top end, top end skiers over the years is is great just to watch them. What did you give me an example of that? Who did you see and what did you get out of that? Um I think the ease yeah. There was a guy, and he he used to train the ski instructor, or he used to do a thing called the AGI, which is like training young guys to pass their test technique. Mm-hmm. And he would ski down, and he was not a young guy, and he would have these fit, probably 18 to 23, four-year-old guys. Some were ex, maybe club to sport, some were whatever. Parisians, whatever, um, and they'd all be following his tracks. But the difference would be that he looked like he could have been on the phone with his <laughs> left hand to his wife, saying, "I think we should have chicken tonight." He could have had a different phone in the other hand, yeah. doing Sudoku or whatever, yeah, yeah, you know. And <laughs> because he was placed so well on the skis, and his body position was so precise and efficient the skis were working Mm. and it was allowing him to move much more fluidly from turn to turn and and adjustment and balance and all that because his body wasn't tense because he wasn't just making shapes he wasn't just making shapes but he wasn't trying to force anything and Mm. because maybe just relaxing and trying just to let everything work that doesn't happen overnight. I'm not saying you need to go through years of... Yeah, you have to reach a certain level of mastery to go there, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And we did uh, years ago, and this Luke Alphonse, you've obviously mm. heard of, and we did a derby, Search Valley derby, and there was a massive roller. Now, obviously, when you're used to week in, week out, going to World Cup downhills, <laughs> this was a big jump. If you hit it at speed, it was a big jump. Mm-hmm probably 80, 90 metres airtime. Okay. And there was guys, younger racers, that were, you know, French team, whatever, but not... Mm-hmm. But he hit this thing at full speed. But again, yeah, he just looked... Yeah. He looked like me and you would just be sipping a coffee. You know, it was just <laughs> placement, and I think that's what, what you see when you... Mm. And, and for me, and this is an important lesson, I think, for instructors, younger instructors coming through... Don't underestimate somebody watching you and following you, especially if they're visual, 
that could be almost the most important thing you do with them. Mm. Could be. I'm not saying it should be, but it... Yeah, yeah, but ski properly. Ski properly, but also, you know, just let them watch, but understand what they're watching. Mm-hmm. Not just, oh, yeah, you're obviously you're a good skier. You're a ski instructor, you're, good, you're a great skier. Yeah. But it's skiing in a way that helps that person maybe watch. Yeah. And it's a good way of also making them believe in you. If you can if you can ski down a slope and they look at you and go, that's, I really want to ski like that. Mm. Coming back to what we said about in trying to get their trust. Yeah, you'd be inspirational as well, right? Yeah. It's not a show-off thing. It's like, yeah, that, that's, but just trying to, I will purposely sometimes just put a few turns in when I know maybe they're looking mm. not to go so they can go, oh my God, that's amazing. It helps embed this idea, you're my you're my coach. Mm. I believe you because I've seen you do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not maybe the best thing when you, it's, it's a funny industry that maybe some, on the last day of a lot of ski instructors' exams is the best day of a ski. Yes. If you do six, seven hours of teaching kids every day for five years, maybe yeah, you're going to lose it. But I, I think maybe we should, as an industry, try and keep it a little bit more. What keeps me fresh is the, the quality of the instructors that come now that I employ. They're all amazing. Hmm. You know, we've gone through a little run lately of like having ex-fish races and stuff, and there's been a few of those, and they're just like, crikey. Like, I've got a got to keep on this because yeah because they're so good you know the stuff they can do is just it's extraordinary do you do, you do much sort of in in-house training with the instructors yeah the, we we, it, we we do two days at the start of the season and then we try to have one a month through it's all we have time for really um and we try to make them like idea swaps and general ski abouts. So it's not mega formal. No, but I think that's But it's a, an open forum yeah. for like, because the thing is, is I've seen, you know, much younger instructors than me and I've, I've sort of shadowed lessons with them or just looked at them and stuff and, then, and they've, they've come out with stuff and I'm like, wow, I've, I've never would have considered doing that. It's extraordinary. I dropped in on one of Max's lessons last year and he was doing a lesson about scraping peanut butter or something off a piece yeah. of toast and I was like what great imagery that is yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and it just he did I was there for ages he did an hour I think the about thing is when you butter. do that it doesn't mean you yeah. have to copy that but it can change the way you yeah. think about it absolutely oh, it's brilliant when I picked up something the other day which uh, that three sorry the other day three years ago that I've used ever since which was something about how you you can get someone to learn what a snowplow does by sort of having them make the snowplow and then you give them your pole and you sort of pull them along. So yeah. they resist you, right? And that that gives them the sensation before you take them to an well, angled that's, slope. That's exactly in the ski school apps. Well, it's probably where I But you're yeah. holding two poles and pulling them along, so mm. there's no fear for them. No, because they're on the flat, right? But they can yeah. feel, they can see, I'm having to pull you more now than, than yeah. that's creating resistance, that's got that's you there. Right. But it's... um. I think it's something, yeah, I should def- I, in France, don't see 
tons of the UCPA. Have you heard of the UCPA? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. They do that quite a lot, which is good. And I, I think it's a good way to keep keep younger or keep instructors kind of fresh. Do you have to do refreshers? Um, it's a, but yeah, but well, there's a kind of weird thing that I'm in this weird kind of situation where I'm I have a cop professional. Mm. I'm in the French system, but. I'm also sort of in the Bayesy. Um, there's a slight grey area. Okay. I don't want to go into it too much. But, okay. um, <laughs> Fine. No, but I, it's Bayesy or encourage uh, to stay. I'm not actually a member of Bayesy anymore. Okay, neither am I. But yeah. my car professional is fluid for well, basically life. So actually, the, it's once you're done, you're done. I think in the French system, they advise you to do... Recyclage. Mm-hmm. Um, Does anyone do it? But it's a bit more of a you can do it if you want. I think yeah. the people that care do it. The Swiss do it every two years. So I've got mine coming up this autumn. But you've got. So last time I went, it was a really good ski about. Yeah. It was a bit. And some young fellow who was like 20 years younger than me just like ripping everywhere. But there, I find them really inspirational because yeah. you see some extraordinary skiing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in Zermatt, start of the year, all the demo teams there, like, yeah. ripping. And um, I find it great. It's great I think atmosphere. I'd, I'd love to do, I think, but I would love a, to do some yeah. interesting things. Like, well, this is where it gets interesting because in the Swiss system, you they have a whole bunch of choice as to what you can do. Mm. So you go along to a Basie CP, so, uh, what do you call it? Uh, refresher. Mm. And they'll be like, this is the refresher we do. And you go along and you ski with Jazz or whoever, like, you know, for a day. And he updates you on the latest thing. And kind of that's that. I have a choice. So I can go and do a race module. I can do a freestyle module. I can do a general ski about. And you can kind of tick the level that you fancy doing. Uh, you can do a backcountry refresher. You can do all sorts of these things. But I've picked. Uh, so I'm going to Grimentz the weekend of the 3rd of December to do a Telemark refresher. Right. Be brilliant. Yeah, I can go there and I can actually learn something. We're not going to take it too seriously because it's my hobby, but I can go and learn yeah, something about telemark. It might be your hobby, but you probably like, still want to go. Yeah, just what just, should I work on? Yeah, and I'm going to go and see some cool telemarkers, yeah. and maybe I'll learn some stuff and it'd be great. I did a uh, long weekend uh, with. I was invited to a thing. Um, it's a Swedish setup called Skiers Accredited. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which Damien? John, yeah. Work. Damien Franson. Yeah. Oh was, my god. He I mean, when you were it. talking about best skiers you've ever seen, he's it. He's a great skier. Oh my god, that guy's a magician. Yeah, and I bump into normally I do a bit of work in Zerma every year. Yeah. Just normally a couple of clients, depends on the year, but I normally yeah. bump into him there. Um if you also see Nadia, say, yeah. I can't remember her name, she's okay. on the demo team as well. Quite oh, sure. Uh, Grunfelder. Um, yeah, awesome. I'm really good at pronouncing German words. Um, if you see Damien, say hi. He's lovely. Yeah, no, he's good. Australian, is he? He's half Australian, yeah. yeah. Um, won't hold that against him. And, uh, <laughs> Not when you can see like that. My God. But it's just, again, it's that having... It was a good few days and topics were kind of thrown out. And it mm. wasn't that you're being judged on anything you're saying or doing. Everyone's got years of experience under their belt. Everyone's secure in what they are and who they are. Yeah. Um, you know, it cast my mind back to days of doing exams as a young younger person. Um, it's so horrible being watched when you teach, and I've seen so many people that are great instructors, but you put them in the environment Crumble, and they right? yeah. fall to pieces. Yeah. 
yeah. um, because of the situation and teaching other instructors is a bit where well, it's fake as well mm-hmm. do you give them feedback does that mean you're slagging off their skiing does that mean you're putting yourself on a pedestal does yeah. it you know it's all there's lots of social little elements to it yeah um, but it was good to just throw different ideas around and mess around mm. and try and put every, different things together um, I've done some stuff with a guy called Charlie Boone he's he's got a thing called Alpha Project in Social Valley he was a re- like high end he was I think at 14 15 16 he was like one of the best slalom skiers in France mm-hmm. and just burnt out okay. had enough but he's now kind of coaches stuff and again isolating different movements with him you know just doing this and just doing that movement and just doing this and feeling experiment how far you can take it and then backing it off and then rebuilding and putting Mm -hmm. it all back together I think it's just quite interesting and as a skier you learn I mean I'm just picking up but it's almost I learnt it from experimenting with it which you can do with clients obviously yeah for sure Um, but more stuff like that I think is would be good for the industry Mm. And just, I think, people coming in, your job as an instructor, you know, is to hopefully get a beginner or new new person skiing, fall in love with skiing, yeah. and turn somebody who skis a bit into a skier who, and again, it's not about level, no. but investing in equipment, investing in lessons, falling in love with the sport, understanding it more. It breaks my heart a little bit seeing people that could ski and fall in love with it, I suppose, walking away from the sport... Mm. through bad experiences that could be controlled my wife is one you just met her she had a mm. crappy instructor in Sasfe once never been back since yeah. and I've had her on ski she's balanced like a cat yeah unbelievable which is and made to great. feel that they're bad yeah maybe could be great and um, I was like it's a shame as a situation you want one one last crack at it because if you you know if we don't Zoe's yeah. you know Zoe's going to yeah, gone yeah. you know and we won't be able to ski together as a family or whatever and the, the, the experience you have is so bad that yeah, you yeah. never stunned, go back on skiing yeah. it's awful and that's like it's like a lifetime customer lost because if you the danger is not only that person but that uh, all the other people she tells right yeah don't go skiing the boots are horrible yeah. the, the, luckily she did she kept going but a client a few years ago and she was a dancer mm-hmm so her coordination and balance and all this she started a beginner lesson in ski school and again this is not a criticism of, of ski schools it's just the the way that happened and she was told she was bad she was a day behind all the other beginners you know mm-hmm. beginners a day makes a lot of yeah, difference yeah yeah it's huge um, she went back in the ski shop she rented the boots from all her sh- shins were red raw mm. and she was told that that's beginners beginners find that all the time and I insisted, same with ski shops, you know. Mm. I'm a real, really popular in a lot of ski shops. <laughs> but she was told that, she was sent back out. Mm-hmm. I went back in the ski shop with her. Her boots were three sizes too big. Oh. And I insisted that the guy measure her feet. And he, you know, the guy does a two week course. Yeah. yeah. And he's matter. a ski technician. Yeah. But yeah. ultimately is going to intimidate the hell out of this poor person who knows nothing about the sport then takes off her skis for life goes back to wherever tells her 10 best friends yeah. don't go skiing don't it's horrendous yeah. that we, we can't afford that no. as an industry no absolutely not especially since 
everything that's gone on in the last sort of four years. Yeah. Um, and is going on, you know. The latest thing I've been hearing from the people that are, that we've so I go through this process of contacting everybody at the start of the year. And now they're talking. So the last few years it's been COVID. Not sure if I can travel this year. It's like my electricity bill is so high yeah. that I don't. We have to choose between that or going on a ski holiday, which is extraordinary. Ukraine. Different. I mean, the whole thing with war. Um, a lot of ski manufacturers have got factories in Ukraine. Is that really? A thing? Yeah. Wow. And a lot of ski manufacturers either buy materials from Russia or Ukraine. Really? Huge thing. Well, I better Wood, hang on aluminium. to that. That old piece, old pair of castos that I've yeah, got there. Keep them. Keep them. Uh, <laughs> keep them in the locker. There are certain ski, ski brands that, yeah, I really... You know, really if you think it, if you're going to sell, if you're going to sell X amount of skis to hundreds of shops... Hmm. And the price of your aluminium or wood or whatever changes by a small amount. That's mm. that's a huge thing. So the industry doesn't need barriers. Doesn't need any more than it's had in the last few years, does it? So young guys and girls coming through, you know, just again we're coming back to what we said about fun. Mm. Let's help people start the sport and and stick with it and enjoy mm. it and stay in it. Everyone in that chain has a responsibility, don't they? you know to, to, to make it a, a pleasant experience I've been chatting to a few people on this podcast about sort of this topic you know how they do things slightly better I think in the US where the customer experience is, is mm. more highly rated than it is in say the francophone world um, and I think that's mega important you know because the, the, anyone who becomes the weak link in that chain that can be enough to, 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 to put that person off forever, right? Yeah. You know, what, you'd rather go to the beach. Yeah. You know? Why give reasons to not go? Yeah. You know? And and ski shops especially. I mean, some one of my biggest gripes is badly serviced skis. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the ski shops are more, would charge a premium for a top-end ski, but it might be absolutely crap. So, like from a condition wise mm. um, I've had skiers that the one lady sticks out she's a lovely lady tidy little skier she'd skied three days we were doing groups early season with ski cover Great Britain mm. I still do them um, good at you know a really early season normally in team and Valdez there and she had three days we swapped groups I saw her ski down and I could also look at her body language and it's like yeah, what's, what's going on and she literally burst into tears and said I want to give up skiing because mm-hmm. I knew this was going to happen at some point I think yeah. I've hit this age can't ski anymore but I watched her ski down and what she was doing didn't look the output wasn't matching mm-hmm. what was happening if you like um Somebody in the group, and I'm not advising and always do this, but somebody in the group had the same din setting, same size spirit, said, look, do you mind just swapping skis for 200 metres down this mm-hmm. road? And she said, it's not the skis, I've just had them serviced. Right. Which made me yeah, yeah. even more. And she skied down 200 metres, burst into tears again for feeling happy. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, it is the skis. Yeah. 
you know, and I had a, I always have a little gom, gommy. Uh, Me too. I have one in my pocket. Stab it in your pocket. I have, because I've been on the beginner slope so many times where you see a kid who can't release the tail of the ski. It's just been Bad tip top, tip to tail, yeah, yeah, like yeah. super. So you just rub the end off a bit and rub then, the end off once, twice up, bang, da 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 da, went down. Spoke to somebody I knew in the resort. Um, spoke to, I think I contacted Phil Smith in team. Mm. Where's a good shop? Yeah. Because again, it's a minefield. Yes. Um, it's got a ski serviced. She's skiing around. Oh my God. You know, she's literally on cloud nine. Yeah. But she's not experienced enough to be able to go, that's the ski doing that. Yeah. Um, so again, if you work, if there's anybody who works in ski shops, if you service skis, ski on your skis. Mm. Service them differently. Change what you're doing. Ski on them. Feel what the difference it makes. Mm. That's that's somebody who knows what they're doing. Not, oh, I've done a two-week course. I'm just going to chuck the skis over this machine. Chuck them out. Yeah. I, I went through a phase of doing my own. And now I just take them to a guy. And the guy does a great, you know, the same job every yeah. time. It's consistent, so it's like, okay, I know what I'm going to get. That's all right. That's good enough for me. Depending on the snow, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm lucky enough that there's a shop, and that's the best shop in Zerchevalier. Yeah. He does them for nothing. I put them in every now and then. If I need to run a diamond down it every, here and there, I will. Mm. Um, but again, yeah, this idea that a ski instructor doesn't service their skis for three, four years baffles me <laughs> I've been guilty of not you know neglecting them a little bit but yeah not to that extent yeah and but it that's that's my yeah little areas let's all try and make yeah like everybody's everyone the you're welcoming to your region right yeah like, this is it you know if everyone does a decent job that person goes home and they come back every single year yeah, yeah. in terms of like a lifetime Return on client, which I think is the corporate phrase, like it's huge. And again, it's not. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not complicated. No, especially in the especially in modern time, like yeah. now, there's such crappy service everywhere yeah. on everything that it's not hard to get it right at all. You just got to be like a human, essentially. Yeah. You know, who sort of cares a little bit about? Yeah, you've got to give a shit. I mean, at the end of the day, and 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 why wouldn't you give a shit? Like it's your job, right? You're you're sort of you're riding on a chairlift with people, and someone's paying you for it, like. Yeah, and um, but plus, you know, it's it's a weird thing if your light on your car goes comes up saying it needs a service or there's something wrong. People go to the garage, but they don't do yeah. the same with other stuff. No, that's true. So yeah, any every little helps. I suppose maybe it's just me getting older. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> right. Where can, thank you so much. Where can people get in touch with you if they wish to? Where should, uh, where should we direct them? Um, I've been really bad on social media because I just kind of got over it a little bit. I know it sounds really bad. Um, it's all right. I turned off all my social media. Oh, it's, um, that is the bane of my life, applying yeah. to comments on Facebook oh, no, and YouTube. No. no one does that once they're famous. <sighs> Shall I just tell them to Google Darren Turner? Darren Turner. Yeah. Um, Darren Turner at Insight Ski, one word, dot com. S I G H T. Yeah. Ski dot com. Or Darren Turner Facebook, Darren Turner Skiing on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You can use the psychic airwaves, put your hands on your forehead <laughs> and hum. 
Um, anything like that, I can give you a phone number on if you need it. I'll, I'll, I'll put it. I'll find it on the internet. And I'll add Just a couple don't of links. ask me stupid questions. People say there's no such thing as a stupid question. I disagree. I think you know. I think it, it depends how much you. Do you want to come to my New Year's Eve party? Yeah, when is it? I mean, that's a stupid question. Why is it when it snows, it only snows off-piste? That was one of my favourite ones. Are serious? Yeah. It's pretty good. What do they do with the moguls in the summer? What's the snow like? What's the snow like going to be in 2025 <laughs> on <laughs> May the 5th? Do you think there'll be snow in December? <laughs> but no, and I... I <laughs> just would like to say thanks for um, well putting the series together as well because it's a bit weird. I'm in Search Valley. It's a bit of a very un-British area. Yeah, it's um, very bold. But it's quite interesting to just listen to people from different countries, different experiences. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think that sometimes life people are a bit cagey about what they do and put up barriers and try and think of it too competitively yeah whereas trying to be more open so the, I, I found the series quite interesting to listen to hear different people different countries different takes mm. so well done oh well, thank you I appreciate it like so I'm doing it because um, I popped out I ended up in the you know don't need to do you pop out the system and like then where do you go yeah. from there you know, what do you do and, and I don't know I, I started with Phil and I kind of just recorded the first one and I thought well maybe people will want to listen to this yeah so, I think it's know, good for people it that, as a you know, it's quite disjointed yeah the industry there's a lot so. of people all over the place so it's, what I would it's love a way is, of yeah, pulling them together I would love if, they, if you know, one of my other ideas which I'll never get around to doing would be to have a sort of a Independent Ski Instructors Association where you would have like an annual sort of big yeah. meet-up get-together and it would just be a very informal thing to swap ideas and, oh, you know, old mate over there is doing this amazing thing with, you know, social media or this guy over here has got this great idea for how to teach this thing. But you just know that it's not going to happen. It's hard. And I think as well, you know, for, for younger instructors, probably you're kind of thinking... I need to make money. I need to do mm. the maximum amount of hours. It's quite. It's nice if you can be in a situation where you can go. Well, I can take three, four days off and travel to wherever, yeah. and and do that without the feeling that it's an organisation telling me I have to. And without thinking that if you are open enough to share some ideas, that someone's going to rip it off it. and nick your commercial yeah. advantage. Which is, you know, I've I've said to you before, I've deleted certain stuff off of this podcast before because I've thought to myself well actually I'm ahead of the game slightly yeah. here and I don't really want to share that with everyone right now um, I, I was sure that somebody was going to absolutely smash on YouTube and start the Ski, ski Instructor app and you must have been like really crapping it right before you were launching yours before yeah there was a couple there was one actually sorry to go go off on another tangent but there was one in America and it was like oh my god this is it this is this is the one we've been waiting for and it was shocking oh yeah but yeah it's I think if you've had a good idea and you want to run with it you, by the time it's out you're probably going to have another idea yeah that's true and also the thing I have learned is that if you've got an idea someone else has had the same idea anyway yeah it's a like big it's, difference between having an idea is, and doing it yeah yeah 
Oh, yes. That's, that's true. A lot of people have good ideas, but if you don't do anything about it... Yeah. Um, that's true. But it seems to be something to do with the way that we communicate these days. I, I have this conversation often with my dad, and he's like, oh, you know, it was, this was easy to do in the 80s. And I'm like, yeah, sure. But not everyone... You know, you didn't have this phone in your pocket that, that you know, you could immediately access anything that you wanted yeah. straight away... You know, you even think of something that you think is vaguely unique these days and you Google it and someone there's like 10 other people already doing it. You know, it's, it's, I think it's just the way that it is yeah. now. There's so many people on the planet that whatever you Yeah, and you it's doing it right and being honest about it and trust trying to do it as well as you can. And, and yeah. I mean, this is the thing with anything. If you do something properly, it takes a long bloody time. Yeah. I think that's the only opportunity within skiing. I can't think of, you know, there's a few people that have come up with some stuff lately. You know, Carve is one of them, yeah. you know, the boot thing. Have you tried but, it? No. I don't think that. It's quite interesting, but I, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's not what it's being. No, I met, I met a guy about it and it, like, he was talking me through it and I was like, oh, this is potentially useful, but I don't see that how this, I don't, this can't beat an instructor's eye, you know. Like it's it's slightly. I don't want to poo it, but it's slightly flawed in the way as, as well as two things. It, depending on the width of your liner or your foot, you get very different feedback. Oh yeah, okay. They might have sorted out some of this. So I don't mm. want to poo poo it. Or if anyone's listening, it's not it's the base of the the off. base of the inner liner. The, yeah, the, 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 the prototypes. It might have been prototypes that I was trying uh-huh. with them. Um, yeah. Also. It's a useful thing, I think, with an instructor or coach watching it, having that feedback. I, I thought it was quite a good idea if I could easily and quickly put it in a client's boot. Yeah. And then we can look at it together. But it's not as straightforward as that. No. It's a bit more of a long-winded setup. Um, plus, you know, the untrained eye or the untrained skier, the, the actual device doesn't know what you're trying to achieve with the turn. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't know whether you're wanting to ski it or flan a ski or... So it's giving you feedback based on a, a set of preconceived notions as Based on information what... through the footbed. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't got any idea of what you're trying to achieve, what the slope you're skiing is. Yeah. No, you can't measure slope angle. Right? There's interesting things to it, but it's not It's not the magic pill that mm. all these things are kind of saying now. No. But that's the, I think that's the only kind of semi-innovative thing. So as a, as a young instructor... Your only option, really, if you want to be independent or, or make something in this industry is to take an existing concept and do it better than everybody else. Mm. And that's hard when you've got guys like me around who are also trying to do ski school as best, you know, better than the generation yeah, yeah, yeah. before me, who presumably thought they were doing it better than the generation before them. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you polish more something that's already being really firmly polished? Yeah, but I think, again... That- some of the stuff we've touched on, you know, mm. um, just making sure that's consistent throughout the ski school, I think. And again, sorry to start off again, but when I worked <laughs> in the French ski school, yeah. and it's not because it was French, I want to make that clear, it's not a yeah, distinct, but I heard instructors use the expression selection naturelle, you know, yeah. when there was somebody in the group that was maybe a bit more difficult or weaker, mm-hmm. purposely make a decision so that person would leave. Yeah. And Why they just drop them off of the group below? Or just break them. Or, you uh, know, purposely put them off enough mm-hmm. 
that they wouldn't come back the next day because it meant that they their week would be easier. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. As opposed to having to work for it a bit more. Mm-hmm. And that attitude and the attitude in ski shops and ski schools and it, in the whole industry, the better we can be throughout, throughout across the board, the, as we said, the more likely people will come to the sport and stay in the sport. Mm. Yeah, that's the big price that everyone's got, got to keep their eye on. Right, I think I can, um, can I put my clothes back on now? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to end it on that.